podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 9th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. If you're a UK expat and you want access to BBC iPlayer, let's say for match of the day through the season, ITV Hub or all four or an Irish expat wanting access to RTE player to watch the Late Late Show with Ryan Tuberty, a Liberty Shield VPN will get you where you want to go and it will keep that data safe from the ne'er-do-wells and the miscreants that lurk on the darker corners of the interwebs. Go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. You can get a hardware package, which is a router, that you plug into your main router and you can connect your laptop or your TV or your phone to that VPN router, set the destination for wherever you want it to be, and that device will have an American IP address, an English IP address, an Irish IP address, or you can just set it to your normal one if you want to just... You know, you've got other items you can use for the normal one. So that's fine. You get both. You get your normal IP and you get your VPN. You can just download the software package, which you can download to your device and get instant use. Both of them available on libertyshield.com. Use the code EPL25 and you get that 25% discount. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, it is Tuesday. So it is the day where I decide who the winners and losers of this Premier League weekend were. So let's start with the winners. First winner is Spurs. Came from behind to score four goals without Kane or Son scoring. Looked dynamic in attack. Looked purposeful in attack. Looked strong defensively after giving up the early goal. Grew into the game. I think you could really start to see an Antonio Conte team at work. Last season, he was working with someone else's team. Last season's a free hit. This season is the first season of Antonio Conte as Spurs manager because he's had a preseason. He's been able to add to the squad in two different windows now. This is his team. And with someone else's team, he got them into the top four ahead of a manager who had a two-year head start on him and had spent an awful lot of money. So I think Spurs and their fans should be really excited about where they're going and what they could be this season. Antonio Conte, in my view, is one of the four best managers in world football. And I don't care what way you rate them or rank them, but for me, Pep, Klopp, Conte and Simeone are a level above everybody else. Now, Carlo Ancelotti is a different case because, yes, he won a Champions League and La Liga title last year, but if we go before that, he'd had about a five or six year run where he had fallen off. Carlo's an elite manager of elite players. But he's a fairly average manager when it comes to average teams. 
when it comes to things like team building, like having to take a mediocre team and turn them into a good team, that's not something he can do. You take a great team and he'll give them that extra 5% that they need to become an elite team. That's what Carlo's great at. But the others, I think you could put them into any situation. And I always hear people say, oh, well, Pep couldn't do this. Do we know that? Are you sure? Are you certain that Pep couldn't take over at, let's say, Aston Villa and get them into the Europa League? Because I believe that he could. I think Conte could. I know Klopp could. I know Simeone could. I think Conte's in that elite group of four. That's why I have them. Carlo's in a category by himself because of the success he's had, especially in the European Cup. But I think Conte, Klopp, Simeone and Pep are the four best in the world. And I think Conte can go toe-to-toe with any of them. If we look at his record, it is outstanding what he has done as a manager. You look at, he has a a six-year run with Ariza, with Barry, with Atalanta and with Siena as he learns what it is to be a manager. Then he gets to Juventus. And at Juventus, he wins three straight titles and two Super Cups. In three years, he won three titles. They hadn't won a title in five, six years before that, since Calciopoli. Then he takes over with Italy, and he does well. Not well enough for his standards, though, and he resigns after the European Championships. Then he goes to Chelsea who'd finished 10th the year before, and he wins the league. And just consider what he won the league with. Just consider a back five of Victor Moses, Cesar Aspilicueta, David Luiz, Gary Cahill, and Marcus Alonso. He won a league title with that back five. And he won it comfortably. What were they, eight points clear of Spurs in second, 15 clear of Guardiola and City in third, and I think 18 clear of Klopp and Liverpool in fourth. That was the Premier League with Conte, Poch, Klopp, Pep and Mourinho. And Mourinho in that same season won a Europa League and a League Cup. So Mourinho was still good. Not great, not the elite Mourinho, but still a very good manager. But Chelsea failed Conte time and again. Didn't buy him the players he wanted, bought a lot of bad players for him. He still won the FA Cup the following year. Knowing they wanted him gone, he still won the FA Cup. Then he went to Inter Milan. First season with Inter Milan, who hadn't won a title since Mourinho left to go to Real Madrid the better part of a decade before. He gets them to the Europa League final. I think he finished second in Syria. In his second season, he breaks the Juventus stranglehold. The stranglehold he started nine years previously. He began the Juventus run. He was the one to break it with Inter. Inter's financial situation changed. They weren't going to be able to stay as competitive. He decided to move on. Took six months out of the game. Rocks up at Spurs. Takes over an absolute circus. Harry Kane doesn't want to be there. He's not playing well. He's not trying. The defence is a shambles. The midfield is all over the place. It's literally young men's son and the island of misfit toys. And Conte, with some stumbles along the way, overhauls Arsenal and gets them into fourth, gets them Champions League. This is a truly great manager. A truly great manager. Five league titles. Five league titles. He's only managed 
seven full seasons of club football and he's won five league titles. He is elite. And if I'm a Spurs fan watching that at the weekend, knowing who I have in the in the dugout and knowing the quality on the pitch, I'm ecstatic. Spurs, big winners from the weekend. Second winners, you have to go Bournemouth. Coming up, big expectations internally, being overlooked externally, haven't spent a whole lot of money, haven't really spent any money uh, other than Tavanier. That's the only one they'd signed. Or, guy, actually, what is the per- correct pronunciation of his name? I go with Tavanier. Tavanier. We'll go with that. He's He was up at Borough for years. We'll go with Tavernier. He's the only real money they've spent. And the other two summer signings, Joe Rothwell and Ryan Fredericks, they're both out anyway. So you've got everyone overlooking you, everyone assuming that Villa, who've spent big each year, are just going to walk in and you know sweep you off your own pitch. And you beat them 2-0. Great start to the season. I still think and again, I'm one of those guilty of overlooking them, but I still think they'll go down. But they've given themselves three points. 37 more to go. Now, I know you generally don't need 40 anymore, but that is still sort of the rule at home. You look at 40 points and you say, that's where we want to get to. So, you know, now it's 37 points. You've A point a game. A point a game for the rest of the season is what you need to average. My third big winner is Fulham, and I know they didn't win their game, but again, overlooked, written off, including by me, and again, I still think they'll go down, but their performance at the weekend was exceptional. The way that group of players played for each other, that was something you don't see all that often in the Premier League. Marco Silva has done a wonderful job at that club. And it's great to see him finally getting the recognition he deserves because he is a very good coach. He did very well at Hull. He was doing very well at Watford until Everton interfered and sort of turned his head and things fell apart. And I think if Everton had given him a bit more room and a bit more leeway and a bit more time, I think he'd still be there and I think they'd be better off as a football club. But their loss is Fulham's gain. And... I don't think them going down this season would have a massive negative impact on him because the issues are not his issues. The issues are with the ownership and with their inability to get deals across the line. Now, they're finally starting to get stuff done now, but this is stuff that could and should have been done in June and July. But for that performance, for how good Paulinho was, the partnership with Harrison Reed, Mitrovic looking like he belongs in the division. I think lots and lots of positives for Fulham. Losers of the weekend then, Liverpool. I know they didn't lose, but it's two points dropped against a newly promoted team. And it's games like this that cost Liverpool the title last season. Brentford, Brighton, Leicester, West Ham. Games they should have gotten something from. They should be beating Brighton at home, especially when 2-0 up. They should be beating newly promoted Brentford. They should be beating Leicester, who don't have any of their first-choice defence. And they should be at least getting a draw against West Ham. Instead, they got draws against Brentford and Brighton, lost to Leicester and West Ham. Those games cost them the title. People can deny it till they're blue in the face. They know they're wrong. They know that's what caused Liverpool the title. They know that allowing City to open that gap in the first half of the season is what cost Liverpool the title. They know it wasn't the draws against Chelsea, against City and against Spurs. It was those four games. Those four games. And this is one like that. And again, similar culprits, similar player, not doing his job. But, you know, I'm not allowed to say it because people cry about it. Liverpool... Definite losers of the weekend. Firmino looks washed. Henderson is washed. Thiago got injured. They're all negatives because 
the first two are going to continue to play. Thiago's by far the best midfield player. And he's going to miss six weeks now. So that's seven league games. Last season of the 10 league games they dropped points in, he missed eight of them. That tells you the difference he makes to that team. Second loser of the weekend, Aston Villa. They they just looked so poor, completely devoid of ideas, unable to defend the second ball at all. No reaction to the second ball. Win the initial header and pat yourself on the back and admire what you've just done, all while Bournemouth are hustling for that second ball, getting it back in the box, or, in the case of Jefferson Lerma, just rattling it into your net. Villa were really bad. Really, really bad. And I haven't listened to the Villa podcast yet this week. I'm saving that treat for today or tomorrow. But I'd imagine the lads were furious. And my biggest takeaway of it was Michael Beale is a massive loss here because they don't seem to know how to press anymore. So I'd be concerned if I was a Villa fan The next one I'm going to put in is not so much because of the result or even the performance, because there was aspects of the performance that were okay. The result is a 1-0 defeat at home to a team that have ambitions to challenge for the title, but will almost certainly be top four. And that's Everton. And the reason I'm putting them in is the horrendous injury look. You lose Yerry Mina, who's your best defender, for... Three months, two months, a month, however long it's going to be. We know he doesn't play more than 15 to 20 Premier League games a season. He is their defensive version of Thiago. Now, not the same caliber of player, but he is that important to them. They're a good, they're a decent team when he's in the team. They're a bad team when he's not. Now, they have signed Connor Cody on loan. That is a commitment to a back three. If Frank Lampard plays a back four, with Connor Cody, he should be sacked on the spot. But the other one then is losing Ben Godfrey. And that's a fairly horrific looking injury. Now they're saying he'll only miss three to four months. So similar enough injury to what happened to Harvey Elliott last year. Uh, one of those kind of fractured displacement injuries or whatever. Um, but... Harvey Elliott wasn't the same when he came back. He's only starting to look like himself now after a preseason. So, I, I don't know. Ben Godfrey might not play a whole bunch. And I know certain Everton fans are not all that keen on him, but look at what he's been surrounded by. Like, in a back three, he could be crucial with his recovery pace, with his aggression. He's a decent passer the ball out from the back. He's one you could develop into a quality player, but you don't develop players at Everton. You just don't. They either get better naturally or they just stagnate. There's loads and loads of examples if you want me to go through them. You can go back 20 years and look at that. So uh, it's a tough weekend for Everton. Now, they've bounced back. They've got Cody in the door. I'm not a fan of Cody, but he helps. They got out Amad- uh, Amadou Onana announced today. That is a great signing. If they develop him properly, he won't be there very long. He's an exceptional prospect. I would have loved to have had him at Liverpool. I think there's a real, real gem there if you develop him properly. Now, I don't trust Lampard to do it. But whoever the next manager is when Lampard gets sacked in November or December... Uh, will have a gem to take hold of. So there are your winners and losers for this weekend. Tottenham, Bournemouth, Fulham as winners. Liverpool, Aston Villa and Everton as losers. Gareth Crooks does his team of the week. I'm not going to do a team of the week. But I thought I'd do sort of a hit of the week. So a player that really stood out to me for good and then a flop of the week, a player who stood out to me for bad. Now, I've done the rant. Yesterday's Daily Red, if you want to listen to it, go and listen to that on Anfield Index. Let's just say that this week's flop of the week, the worst player 
that I saw across all 10 Premier League games wore number 14 for Liverpool. And that's all I'm saying on it. The best player that I saw, from an individual point of view, was Bruno Gamerich. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. I thought he was absolutely... I think he was a class above everybody else on the pitch in Newcastle's win over Nottingham Forest. Controlled the game. The range of passing is outrageous. The vision, the weight of pass, the bravery on the ball. His pressing is very good. He's strong in the tackle. He's so press-resistant, it's actually embarrassing for other players. They rushed in to try and take the ball off him and bounce off him because he's strong as an ox and he can just put his body between an opponent and the ball. Has complete control of absolutely every aspect. He is managing the game on the pitch. Dictating every single aspect of what's good about Newcastle right now. And he does things that really stand out to me as high-caliber moments in games. So Sergio Busquets is the best I've ever seen at this specific thing. If Busquets plays a pass to a player who is facing him and has his back to the advancement of play, so let's say Busquets is stood on the center the center circle. He stood on the halfway line, facing one way, and he's got a midfield partner eight yards in front of him, facing him with his back to the advancement of play. And there's a player closing him in. Busquets doesn't put the pressure of having to receive the ball and figure out which way can you get out of this oncoming press on the receiver. Busquets takes that away. If the presser is coming from the player's left shoulder, Busquets plays it to his right side. If the presser is coming from the right shoulder, Busquets plays it to the left side. So that player can just turn and go in one swift movement. If he's pressing centrally, he plays it directly to his feet. And the player knows that's where the man is coming from. So as the ball is coming to him, he can scan, know where his options are, and can give a first-time pass either back to Busquets or to someone else at an angle. Bruno Gomerich does that as well. He takes away that little part of the game to make things easier for his teammates. He plays ball to feet only when a man is directly behind. Otherwise, it's to the side. So you can turn and go. So you know which way you're going. So you have time to scan once to that side and know where your options are going to be. Bruno Gomerich is an outstanding footballer. And for Newcastle to have had a free run at him, no competition for his signing at all was ridiculous. He'll be 25, excuse me, 25 in November. Toon paid a fee that could rise to 40 million, including add-ons. He is already one of the best midfielders in the league and he's only going to get better an absolutely outstanding footballer and Newcastle should be very very happy to have him their fans I know are thrilled they talk about him endlessly and they're right to there's a level of play with him that you just don't see all that often he has everything to his game he can be your sitting holding midfielder. He can be your central midfielder who links defence and attack. He can be your attacking midfielder. He has everything you would want in a central midfield player. The only thing he doesn't have is like blow away pace, but he doesn't need it. His brain is just so far ahead of everybody else. 
Like he's receiving the ball, already knows where everybody is. Players are on rushing and he already has the ball gone. And now they're out of position and looking silly. And he's moving on already. And while they're trying to figure out what's just happened, he's now five yards to the other side of them and moving into a more dangerous position to receive the ball again. Incredible awareness of every aspect of the game, the ability to dictate play, passing ranges, outrageous, the way to pass, sensational. And as he showed last season, an eye for goal. Five goals in 17 games for the turn last season. Now, I don't know that that's the type of numbers he'll put up regularly because that's not really his game. If you look at his career, uh, he'd only scored 13 goals before joining and he'd only scored three in 71 at Leeds. He scored uh, 10 in 106 with Atletico Perenis. Perenin? Para? Para? That club he played for in Brazil, he only scored 10 goals in 106 games for them. Um, so I don't know that he'll sustain the goal-scoring pace he had at Newcastle last season, but I do think he's going to be great for them. I really do. Uh, I'm very, very jealous. What a signing. What a signing. We'll take a break there, and when we come back, we'll go through the news, we'll go through the gossip, and we'll be done for the day. I'll see you in a few. Right, welcome back. So, uh, had a little chuckle yesterday at Manchester United and their move to sign Marco Arnautovic. That move is now off. Um, United fans were obviously up in arms about this signing for a multitude of reasons. Some of them silly. Um, some of them real. If you remember in the European Championships, he got suspended for alleged use of racist language towards North Macedonians of Albanian descent. Uh, he is obviously of Serbian descent himself, and there is that long-running dislike of each other between Serbians and Albanians. Now, what I will say is uh, he had a number of years at Stoke City with Jordan Shakiri, who is also of uh, Albanian descent and they got on quite well by all accounts so I don't necessarily think that Arnautovic is racist but there was clearly an issue there and he was punished for it and United fans have highlighted this and I think it's fair enough to say look we don't want more question marks at our club. We've already got the Greenwood issue. We've got Cristiano and what he did in America. And if you Google Cristiano Ronaldo payoffs, there's a story from about 2006 that will make your eyes pop as well. That's all I'll say on that. So... Fair enough. We don't want any more questionable characters at our club. They've got enough questionable characters there, as is. Uh, on the topic of Manchester United, Ryan Giggs is currently in court, former United winger, uh, United legend. And his case for controlling behaviour and assault of his former girlfriend and her younger sister is ongoing. And this story reads... Former Manchester United and Wales star Ryan Giggs threw his then-girlfriend out of a hotel room while she was naked, a court has heard. Mr Giggs is on trial accused of controlling behaviour and assaulting his former girlfriend, Kate Greville, and her younger sister, Emma. In an interview heard by the jury, Miss Greville told detectives Mr Giggs was her best friend and her soulmate, but he became nasty and abusive. Mr. Giggs has denied all charges. He is charged with controlling and coercive behaviour against the defendant or against the complainant uh, between August 2017 and November 2020. He's also charged with assaulting Kate Greville, causing her actual bodily harm, and common assault of Emma Greville at his home in Worsley, Greater Manchester, on the 1st of November 2020. 
Miss Gravel was interviewed by the police after she alleged the former Wales manager headbutted her in November 2020. She described the detectives how Giggs had once flipped in a hotel room after she confronted him about messaging other women. He then said he squared up to her, grabbed her wrist hard and literally dragged her naked across the floor and threw her and her belongings into the corridor. She said she was left feeling humiliated and embarrassed. She told the the detectives that months before the alleged assault in November 2020, she found evidence that Mr. Giggs had had relationships with eight other women over the previous six years. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, given what we know about Ryan Giggs. Um, I'm sure his brother could have given you, you know, a a breakdown of what kind of man he was. Um, Miss Greville said she saw early red flags in the relationship, but it was almost like and it was almost like he was two people. She told detectives both she and Mr. Giggs were married when their affair started and that she was an unhappy and controlling marriage. He would tell me about his marriage and he was not happy. I would talk about mine. She said things developed from that point on and she left her husband two months later. He was like my best friend, a soulmate. He was the one to save me from that marriage. During their affair, she said Mr. Giggs kept promising he would leave his wife after she had ended her her own marriage, but it did not happen. At one point, she stopped speaking to him and ignoring his messages and calls. She told the police that Mr. Giggs turned up at her apartment, but she ignored him, prompting him to shout, You're a expletive. Have you got somebody in there? She He went on to threaten her that he would tell her boss about the secret affair. Rumours began at Miss Greville's workplace about the pair, but she lied about it because she was ashamed I was seeing a married man. Mr. Giggs would message her saying the marriage was over, but then again she discovered it was not. It was all complete mind games that went on for ages. The affair became public in May 2016, which she said was horrendous and she was hounded by paparazzis. It continued to be an on-off relationship despite her blocking him at times on her phone and emails the court heard. It was literally like I was addicted to him. I couldn't get him out of my head. She then said Mr. Giggs told her he needed more time to end his marriage with his then wife. Eventually, Miss Greville said she gave him the ultimatum, but nothing changed. And she decided to move to Abu Dhabi to get away from him. The trial continues. Uh, Not a good look for Ryan Giggs at all. Uh, Especially, you know, given the revelations that came out about him a number of years ago, you would think that he would clean his act up. Now, I don't know what happened with regards to the assault or anything like that. I'm not going to comment on any of that. But the fact is that you got caught having an eight-year affair with your brother's wife. Uh, You were caught having a secret apartment in Manchester where you would have a litany of affairs. Your wife took you back after all of that. And you still continue to treat her like this and treat this other woman like this. So uh, I have no sympathy for Ryan Giggs in any way. He was an outstanding footballer. He is a scumbag of a human being. Timo Werner is set to sign for RB Leipzig from Chelsea on a permanent deal. Chelsea paid £45 million for him in 2020. And Leipzig are buying him back for £25 million two years later. So basically, Leipzig loaned him to Chelsea for two years and made £20 million for the inconvenience of not having their star goal scorer. Werner was incredible for Leipzig. Uh, I've been a fan since he was at Stuttgart. I always enjoyed him, especially when he was a left winger back then. Thought he had big potential. His career did stagnate a little bit. But he had a good final season with Stuttgart. Then he went on to Leipzig and scored for fun. 21 in 32, 21 in 45, 19 in 37 and 34 in 45. He was excellent for Leipzig. It hasn't worked at Chelsea. 12 goals in 52, 11 in 37. But at the same time, he did start in the Champions League final for a team that won that Champions League final. So, you know, 
swings and roundabouts. It hasn't been the disaster that some people have made it out to be. Now, obviously, people expect him to score a lot more goals. But let's remember, he joined the club when they were managed by a PE teacher. Then Tuchel took over, a very pragmatic manager, who realised that he didn't have the defensive pieces to play the football he wanted to play. He had very attack-minded fullbacks in Reese James and Ben Chilwell, neither of whom are great defensively. And he had only one centre-back capable of playing in a back four, especially one with attack-minded fullbacks, and that was Andreas Christensen. He had Rudiger, a calamity in a four. He had Thiago Silva, who he had managed at PSG. And to hide him and get him through games, he played Thilo Carrere at right back, a centre-back, used out of position because he had recovery pace. He played Presnel Kimbemba as the left-side centre-back because he had great recovery pace and played Marquinhos, by far their best defensive player, as a holding midfielder, sat right in front of Thiago Silva. So he'd hidden him there. He couldn't do that at Chelsea in a four, but he could do it in a five. And by doing that, by overloading the team defensively, it has had an enormous negative effect on the attacking side for Chelsea. Like anyone that saw Thomas Tuchel's Mainz team, or his Dortmund team, or even his PSG team in the initial stages before he had to go to that extra defensive block, knows what a genius attacking coach this guy can be. That Dortmund team, and he had two of them basically in his two seasons there because a bunch of the players left, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, etc. They are, they to this day are one of the most entertaining teams I've ever seen. That front four of Mkhitaryan on the right, Royce on the left and Kagawa behind um, Aubameyang with Julian Vigel and Ilkay Gundogan in midfield. That is one of the most entertaining teams I've ever seen. They were sensational together. Pace, movement, intelligence, creativity. They had everything. And they blew teams away. If he had been given a defence to match that midfield and attack, Dortmund would have won a league title under Thomas Tuchel. Instead, Gundogan was sold, Mkhitaryan was sold, Aubameyang was sold, and Kagawa sort of fell off. Royce had injuries. He had to rely on Usman Dembele. Mega talented, but he was 18. Christian Pulisic, super talented, but he was 18. Uh, I saw him called Magadoni yesterday, which did make me laugh. Um... He wasn't given the pieces he needed. Simple as that. He hasn't been given the pieces he needs at Chelsea yet either. But they'll get there. It's just unfortunate that Timo Werner won't be part of it. Because there is a world in which Tuchel takes over a team with real central defenders, can play his preferred 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 and get the very, very best out of Timo Werner to playing an attack-minded fast-paced game. Hasn't happened. Off he goes. I wish him the best of luck. And I have very little doubt that Timo Werner, who's only 26 and only turned 26 in March, will be on the move again in probably two years after lighting up the Bundesliga. So Leipzig can double dip and make a ton more money. Uh, Thiago Alcantara out for six weeks. That is not great news at all. Um, But, you know, don't want to labour the point. Uh, Super Cup to use semi-automated offside technology. Real Madrid face, face Eintracht Frankfurt tomorrow night. Real absolutely wiped the floor with them. Eintracht were awful in their first game against Bayern Munich there uh, at the weekend. Uh, but this game, they're going to use that semi-automated technology to speed up the offside decisions. So it should be good. They've trialled it at the Club World Cup and the Arab Cup. They're going to use it at the World Cup, so we'll see. Um, system involves specialised cameras, which are able to track 29 different body points per player. So very, very good. Very, very exciting. And uh, hopefully hopefully it works, because if it doesn't, God, the crying will be unbelievable. Uh, Wolves have confirmed the signing of Gonzalo Guedes from Valencia. 27.5 million. 
it is high, but I noticed he's got 40 goals and 38 assists or something in his time there. So he has been productive. If he's used right, he will get you goals and assists. He is very talented. He's lightning quick. I'm excited to see him in the Premier League. I hope it works. I really do. I really hope it works. I like what Wolves are doing. I really like Bruno Lage. And I want to see this work for them. Uh, There's a really good piece on the BBC website about Derby County, written by Simon Stone. And I would recommend everybody go and read it. Uh, It's just an absolutely excellent piece of writing. So check that out. Uh, Leeds, clearly, Victor Orta listens to the podcast. I told them to go and sign a veteran, third-choice goalkeeper who could come in and provide some experience. And they've done that. Joel Robles from... Real Betis, formerly of Everton and Wigan Athletic. So he knows the Premier League. He knows English football. He is joining on a free to become that third-choice goalkeeper. Uh, He spent five years, five and a half years in England. Uh, Six months with Wigan and then five years with, um, with Everton under Martinez. Won the FA Cup with Wigan. Won the Copa del Rey with Real Betis last season. I previously won the Europa League and the UEFA Super Cup with Atletico Madrid. So, you know, he knows what it is to be around big clubs. He doesn't come in demanding to be first choice in his entire career. He's only really been first choice in that loan spell at Wigan, uh, in a loan spell at Rio Vallecano for one season at Everton. And that might have been due to injuries. And for about a year and a half at Real Betis. So he'll be happy enough to become the backup goalkeeper. And if, look, if he can pull off miracles like he did in that FA Cup final back in 2013, you never know. Maybe he can be beneficial to them. But yeah, I like the signing and I think it fills a big position of need for them. Can't just have young goalkeepers. That, That will not work. Um... What else do we have? What else do we have? Let's just wrap things up. Uh, Nico Gonzalez of Barcelona. He is on his way to Valencia on loan. Brian Hill of Spurs also likely to join on loan. Juventus believe they have a deal done for Philippe Kostic, who turned down West Ham. Issa Diop will undergo his medicals today and sign for Fulham. To replace him at West Ham, it looks like Tilo Carrer of PSG could be the target. Sky reporting that they have made the bid for him. Uh, good player, inconsistent, a little bit frustrating. Probably, probably wasted too long of his career. He's 25, he'll be 26 in September. He When he came through at Schalke, he was so promising. He really was. Now, I think ideally you use him on the right of a back three. Um, Schalke didn't want to sell him. PSG paid a huge amount. And he just hasn't really developed the right way at PSG, in part because he's been forced to play a lot of his football at right back in a four that just hasn't suited him. But he can be a very good defender. Uh, is he better than Isidiop, though? I, I don't think he is, really. I I could be wrong, but I don't think he is. Um, United are still working on the deal for Adrian Rabio. They're in direct negotiations with his mother, who's his agent, and a nightmare. So we'll see what happens with that one. Manchester City wing, winger Keikai is in Portugal today to join Pacos de Ferreira on loan. Interesting. Uh, the Benjamin Sesco deal, he is going to RB Leipzig next summer. He is staying at Salzburg for this year and will join RB Leipzig next summer. Now, the price, allegedly, is in the mid-20s. When United asked about him, it was $50 million or more. So... Whether or not United just put that fee out there because they didn't want to spend that kind of money or didn't want to pay 20-odd million for him, I don't know. But it is kind of funny that 
uh, Leipzig are getting him for less than half what United were quoted. Uh, apparently, Chelsea are going to bid again for Wesley Fofana. You could spend that money better. He is really good, but he's inconsistent. He's 21. Like, and he's going to cost you a world record fee. Milan Skriniar would be better now, next year, and the year after. And that's kind of where you need to be buying because you've got the short window with Koulibaly. Uh, Adrian Rabio spoke to Eric Ten Hag yesterday, according to Julian Laurence. Uh, if that is the case, that deal is probably quite close. Barcelona will allow one of Memphis Depay or Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to leave. I would imagine both would be allowed to leave if they could find someone to take them on. They're apparently willing to let either one leave on a free to clear up wages so they can register the players that they've already signed. Uh, Alex Collado, he's also leaving Barcelona on loan. Mad stuff coming out of Barcelona in the last couple of days, though. It is, it's almost funny. Um, but, you know, they get away with stuff that no one else gets away with. Uh, Hector Bellerin wants to leave Arsenal. Arsenal have been a bit funny about it. And that is basically that. That's all we have. I think we'll just check in with John Percy and see if he has anything to add today. And he does not. John Percy letting us down. Good player, though. A good, good player. Good journalist, though. Very, very good journalist. Um, very, very good journalist. Right, we'll do the gossip and we'll be done for the day. Manchester United have reached an agreement with Juventus for Adrian Rabio for an initial fifteen million. Let's not tell them that they were willing to let him go for nothing in January. Manchester United have also made contact with Real Betis over Guido Rodriguez. Guido Rodriguez is a good player, and him and Rabiot together, in theory, would be a good pairing. But you've got to get Rabiot to buy in. You've got to get the best of Rabiot. If you just get the half-arsed version we've seen at Juventus, he's not worth anything. Lazio's Serbia midfielder, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, is still on United's list of options. That's purely because they're still working off a list from five years ago. Uh, another Manchester United target, Benjamin Sesco. Yeah, that's fine. That one's done. Uh, Wesley Fofana. Barcelona's former Spain defender, Gerard Piquet, is set to agree to a second pay cut in 12 months as the club tried to register new signings. Piquet's made his money. He's got a business that's going to be very, very successful. I think Gerard Piquet can afford to take the pay cut, so we won't, won't feel too bad for him. Roma have rejected Tottenham's bid to take Italian winger Nicolo Zaniolo on loan with an obligation to buy. West Ham have accepted a £15 million bid for Issa Diop. West Ham are looking at a £15 million move for Tilo Carrere. Fulham have been offered Jason Denier, who's a free agent. He's a good player. Jason Denier wouldn't be a bad addition for Fulham. And I could be wrong, but I think he might be homegrown as well. Yeah, he, he counts as a homegrown player. He joined City at 18, was with them till he was 23. So he spent three years with them before he took, well, up until his year 21 age. So yeah, he counts as a homegrown player. So it makes more sense then. Sign him for your quota as well. And he's, and he's a good defender. Uh, Marcelo Brozovic is Liverpool's number one target. Yada, yada. Arsenal Liverpool have expressed an interest in Jeremy Pino. Very talented player, but I have some doubts over whether or not Liverpool would be the right move for him at this point, or Arsenal, to be fair. Um, super talented, but I think he needs to be playing more regularly than either club can give him. I think he'd be better off staying at Villarreal for another year or so. And just continuing his development because he's had a bit of a stop-start sort of time in the team. Um, some appearances, gets a run of games, has a couple of bad ones, gets pulled out, things like that. So super talented, though. There's, there's no denying that that kid is going to be really, really good. Uh, Atalanta have received 
interest in Remy Remy Froiler from Nottingham Forest and Luis Muriel from Newcastle, although the Colombian striker has also been tracked by Juventus. Destiny Aduji is expected to join Tottenham on, uh, on a, in a deal worth £21 million and be loaned back to Udinese. He's super talented. I wouldn't have said it's the best use of Spurs' money. Uh, maybe they're not paying for him till next summer, though. Maybe that's the case. Uh, but, you know, he, he's super talented. He, it's a good get. Monaco are keen to sign Eric Bailly. Eric Bailly and Malang Sarr as a centre-back partnership. The Malang Sarr thing, actually, I was thinking of this earlier, doesn't really make sense. Unless they're planning to send to sell uh, Benoit Badiashile, it doesn't really make sense. Penarol are trying to convince Martin Caceres and Edinson Cavani to return to Uruguay after they left Levante and Manchester United, respectively. So two Uruguayan legends who've been around a long time. Caceres has had a bit of a a journeyman career, I suppose you could say. Uh, Defensor Virial, a year on loan with Recreativo. Barcelona bought him off the back of that. It never really worked. He went to Juventus on loan, went to Sevilla on loan. Sevilla bought him. Juventus loaned him again. Then Juventus bought him. Spent four years there, joined Southampton, realised he didn't want to be there, went to Hellas Verona, went to Lazio, went back to Juventus again, then had two years at Fiorentina, a year at Cagliari, and a few months at Levante. Um, 114 caps for the national team. Um, A good defender, always a good defender, but never quite an elite level defender. Probably would have been excellent in in a back three. Got miscast as a fullback for large stretches of his career. And then obviously Cavani, uh, Danubio, Palermo, Napoli on loan, Napoli permanently, Paris Saint-Germain, and two years at Manchester United, 113 caps. And with Luis Suarez gone back already, uh, and what is Diego Godin doing actually? Has he gone back as well? No, Diego Godin went to Vela Sarsfield in Argentina, which I was unaware of. One and a half year contract. Hmm. I, I think it's cool when South American players just go back to end their careers in South America. I think it's good. Anyway, that is it. That is me for today, folks. I'll see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.